Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be continuing on in our series in the book of John, in John chapter 4, uh, kind of picking up where Dale left off last week. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to John 4, beginning around verse 27. Uh, and we'll get into that. Dale did a great job last week kind of um, pre- preaching on um, finding satisfaction in Jesus uh, and having that passion and drive to just submit all of life uh, to following that. And so we're going to continue, continue out of that conversation with the Samaritan woman uh, in verse 27. Uh, but let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here, uh, to gather as your church to allow your spirit to work within our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, work in each one of us. Areas that need to be softened would be softened, Father, uh, where we need conviction that we would be convicted. Uh, If we need um, healing, encouragement, strengthening, uh, we trust you for all these things. I pray that you would guide us and lead us as we look at this passage, as we go into a time uh, of worship at the end. Uh, celebrating communion together. Um, we just ask that you would work within us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 4, beginning in verse 27. Um, this is right after that conversation. So he's having this conversation with Samaritan woman uh, about uh, the water at the well. And if you knew the water I had, you wouldn't be, or you would ask me, and you'd never be thirsty again. Uh, so this conversation is kind of wrapping up. We get into verse 27. Uh, it says, Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with the woman. Yet no one said, What do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? I just, I just think it was kind of interesting there. So they've gone, and they've gone to go get food. If you uh, think back uh, into John 4, verses 6 through 8, uh, they were kind of journeying there, um, and the disciples had gone in to buy food. And so they're gone for this whole thing. Uh, and they come back, and they hear Jesus talking to a, a Samaritan woman uh, at a well, um, but yet no one says, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why are you talking with her? Uh, and, and just that sense of like, who questions Jesus? Like, like at that point, they followed him long enough to understand like he does things a little bit differently. Um, and he is the Messiah. And, and he is the rabbi. So, so walking up to a situation that was completely strange for them, uh, not one of them was like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, what are you thinking? Like, this isn't okay. Um, and, and I just think it's a lesson for us as well. You know, when we're following after Christ, uh, there might be some things that don't necessarily make sense to us but are so clearly the Lord. Um, do we really want to sit there and say, ah, God, is it really what you want us to do? Like, we feel like you're calling us to go and do this ministry or go on this mission trip, but eh, it's a little dangerous or it doesn't quite make sense. Um, I, I think there's a lesson in this where it's, you know, if it's clear, it's him. Let's follow him and see where he takes us. Verse 28 picks up. Uh, it says, Then the woman left with her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then they left the town and made their way to him. Uh, and so you just have this example of this natural spreading of the light of the gospel. Uh, as Jesus is interacting with people, their lives are being transformed. As her life is transformed, she, she's automatically going and just telling people about it. 
We look into her story and we find out she's been with a, a number of different husbands. The man that she's currently with right now is, is not her husband. And, and so we don't necessarily know fully, it's not in the text, what her social standing within that community of Samaritans was. Uh, but most likely, she would have been kind of known. And here's kind of this woman that if you're in good social circles, you may not necessarily want to hang out with. And yet she's coming back gushing about Jesus and said, okay, all the stuff that you guys know that I've done, he knew it without anybody telling him. Is this the Messiah? And, and just that sharing her testimony, like she hasn't even walked as a Christian for any length of, literally less than an hour. And she's just sharing, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And it's impacting people to the point where they're dropping what they're doing in order to walk out and meet this Jesus. It's this natural spreading of the gospel uh, through testimony, through sharing what Jesus uh, has done uh, that grows the kingdom, that, that shares this light. Uh, and so then in verse 31, uh, you got all the Samaritans leaving the town uh, now to come towards Jesus. In verse 31, it says, In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. Jesus, eat something. Again, remember, they had left this. They missed the whole conversation because there wasn't any food. They went to go buy food. Now they're coming back. Uh, and then here's uh, Jesus, who's been without food for this entire time, uh, finally kind of getting a break. Uh, this woman has left. Now it's just him and his disciples. They came back with lunch. Uh, and uh, the Samaritans are actually on their way. And can you ever relate to having a day like this where, where it's just busy, busy, busy? and you barely seem to get a break, and then it's like, oh, you know, in, in just two hours, I'll be able to get like a 30-minute lunch, and then I got to get back to it. And then that lunchtime gets there, and you know more work is coming, and it just never seems to end, and you're kind of wanting that, that break. More work's around the corner. Uh, and Jesus' response, though, um, lunch is there. Nobody else is there. Verse 32. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? So I think most of us in this situation, like without lunch this whole time, doing all kinds of work, doing all kinds of ministry, having a break, Jesus probably knows the town's coming to go visit him. And he's like, no, I'm good. And again, the disciples, uh, they're thinking simply in the natural Oh, did somebody else give him food? Did, did Jesus have some chocolate stashed away that we didn't know about? You know, this happens in my house all the time. Um, Angie will be like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hungry for chocolate. I'm like, oh, okay. She's like, what do you have stashed? I'm like, who says I have anything? And then she knows, like, there's something somewhere. Uh, and so then she gets it out of me and like, Okay, we had this food that we, she didn't know that we had. And so this is what the disciples are thinking. Like, did Jesus stash some food? Or did somebody come by and give him something that we don't know about? Um, but again, Jesus is actually doing another veiled teaching. Uh, we've seen this over and over and over again through the first four chapters of John. That when he begins to talk to some people, he, he uses language that's true. When he talks to Nicodemus, he says, unless you're born of the wind and the Spirit, unless you're born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so Nicodemus is like, well, 
how does, with my mom, that doesn't make sense. And Jesus was talking about a spiritual birth. Here again in this situation, he's teaching again, saying, I've got food that you don't know about. And the disciples are thinking automatically in the natural, in the physical. Did you go to the McDonald's down the street? Like, what did you do? But what he's actually talking about is something spiritual, something that is supernatural. It begins in verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is pointing to the existence of a greater reality than our physical realm. And he's saying that he has a greater priority in the supernatural and in the spiritual and a greater sense of satisfaction in the spiritual than anything that this world can provide. As he was teaching in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he said this, Don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Or what will you wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. One of his most famous sermons, he's saying, put the kingdom first. Uh, earlier, he refers to the supernatural existence of this in Matthew 4, where, where Jesus was led up, in verse 1, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I, I think that's an understatement in Scripture. Like, at least if I put myself in this. Like, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Like, it's just a simple statement. Verse 3, Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, saying, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus is, is modeling and saying, even though He's fully human in this circumstance, saying that it is of greater importance to be anchored in the spiritual world and relationship with God, following after Him, uh, than to worry and prioritize things of this earth, even when it comes down to food, missing our lunch, and finding satisfaction in Jesus. Finding ourselves in circumstances that are difficult where we don't have uh, all the things that we would prefer to have in our life, the things that give us a sense of security or a sense uh, of purpose or a sense of uh, enjoyment. But it's enjoyment in Him, that satisfaction in Him. It was the same lesson that He was teaching to the Samaritan woman. Like if you drink of this well, you're going to be satisfied. And it's going to be welling up within you to eternal life. The disciples missed that teaching. And here he's almost doing the same thing, but in a different way, saying it's more satisfying to do the work and the will of our Father in heaven than it is to find satisfaction through bread or wine or whatever they brought back for lunch uh, at that time. Now this is not to say that we're not supposed to eat or drink. Again, in Matthew 6, it says your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things, but that our priorities must be kingdom first. And that by doing that, there's a supernatural satisfaction that comes that can actually eclipse the physical cravings that we have in this world. Does that mean that, that we won't feel hungry? No. Maybe. 
Like, like maybe doing the work of our Father is so exciting that we forget that we're hungry. Uh, sometimes that happens. But, but more so, I think what it means is that there might be times where we're hungry or we're tired or we're frustrated or, or whatever else because of living within this world that the following the will and abiding with Christ actually eclipses the discomfort that we have here in this life. Because we're with Him more, we're being transformed by Him more, and therefore there's eternal fruit that's growing that, that's more than the fruit that we kind of pack on if we eat too much food. But Jesus continues on here, not in this teaching further, in verse 23, to show the urgency of this kingdom work. Jesus told them, uh, don't you say, in verse 35 rather, there's still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. And so he's starting off here, and he's talking about a situation uh, where you're like, okay, the harvest is in four more months. It would almost be like us saying right now, today, uh, on June 13th, like, let's go pick corn. Like, what's the saying about 4th of July? Knee high by 4th of July, right? And, and so we're like, no, it's not time yet. This is the conversation Jesus is having with them at this point. He's saying, like, you don't think the harvest is here yet. You think that you have time uh, to kind of uh, relax a little bit, to kind of take it easy. The sowing's done. Now you just have to wait for the harvest to come. Uh, but he's saying no. Like, like it's here and it's now. And in fact, he's showing that it's this supernatural thing that's happening. And he's talking about human souls for eternity at this point. Because he says that the sower and the reaper are able to rejoice together. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. And so what's happening here in this aspect is he's saying that the work of the kingdom, of sharing the gospel, is not the same as this illustration of farming where you, you kind of plant and then you wait for it to grow and then you have a harvest time. What he's saying is that within the kingdom and sharing the gospel, as you plant or as you share your faith or share your testimonies, as you're planting in this area, in another area, the harvest is already there. And that things happen where you might go to share your testimony, but somebody else already planted the seed of the gospel by sharing their faith with somebody. And as you step out on faith to say, hey, can I pray for you? It might be that moment where they've already kind of wrestled through things and they're like, yeah, I'm ready for this. Like, how many stories do we hear where, where people are like, yeah, I feel like I should start going to church more. Yeah, I feel like I should have a relationship with Jesus. And then the next day, God sends somebody there to take place. There's a sense of urgency in this kingdom work because Jesus is saying the harvest is already now. Now, He said this 2,000 years ago. How much more is the case for us here today in 2021? The harvest is here and planting is here. 
The work of the ministry is here and now. And Jesus said, this is where his food is. This is where his satisfaction is. To do the will of the Father. To do the work that he had for Jesus to do. It's the same work that's left to us. In John 17, as Jesus is praying for his disciples before he heads the next day to be betrayed, he's saying, God, I ask you, or Father, I ask you not to take them out of the world because I'm sending them into the world to do this work. Last week, Dale was pointing to this aspect of of drinking from the well and, and this through our salvation and finding full satisfaction in Jesus was the illustration of the water. Jesus now turns to the illustration of food and says that it's an ongoing thing. We find salvation and the Holy Spirit welling up within us to eternal life, but we also find an ongoing satisfaction, a sense of fullness and a sense of purpose in our life, which is the food is to do the will of the Father and the work to which He sent us to do. We cannot fall into a trap of thinking that this harvest or Jesus coming back is a long ways off. Every time Jesus talked about the kingdom returning or him returning, what was the language that he used? What are some of the different things uh, that Jesus said in regards to that? He said it would be soon. What, what does soon mean? Right? Like, like I'm going to go have lunch soon. Um, that could be two hours. It could be tomorrow. Right? What does soon mean? But he uses that, I think, intentionally because it's ambiguous. What else did he say about his return? What was that? You will not know the hour. So you have no idea. We can't put it into our calendar like, let's harvest at this time. A thief in the night. Yeah, you don't know the hour and it's going to sneak up on you. The blink of an eye. So it's going to happen and, and be upon us. It says in that day they'll be eating and drinking and going on like, oh, there's nothing happening. And that's when God will return. This is what Scripture says. We never know when that day or hour will be. Only the Father in heaven knows. And what Jesus is telling us within this is do the work that God has called us to be here on this planet to do. Now, this doesn't mean that we all just quit our jobs and become missionaries and travel overseas. God builds his church because he has each of us to do what he's called us to do. Uh, That might be a construction worker or somebody in a factory or somebody who's at home and raising their family. It could be uh, wherever you're at. Ask, seek what God has for you to do and how to engage and to do that work of the kingdom. And as you press into that, Jesus says it's going to be food for your souls. It's what's going to give you that true joy and satisfaction. And a joy and satisfaction that will eclipse the cravings or hungers that we have in this world. We get this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit uh, dwelling within us at the point of salvation uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 as a deposit of our inheritance. It's it's what works within us and sanctifies us, getting us ready for Jesus' return, or or we die and we go to heaven. We also get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which equips us and empowers us to be able to do the work of the ministry. And it's this empowering work of God. But what Jesus is saying here is that food 
that is satisfying, food that gives us endurance and purpose, is us choosing then to engage with the anointing power of God, engaging to do His work. And as we step into that is where we find satisfaction and joy. And it helps us to be rooted in this well that's springing up within us. It's a free gift from Him. All the work is from Him. But as we choose to participate it is when it's effective within us. Jesus says, as this happens, this sowing, this reaping, wages are being received uh, and there's heavenly rewards that are being set aside for those who choose to do this work. Uh, Now that's a whole other topic and I think it's one that we need to get into because it's not just this passage that says, as you work here on earth, you build up treasures in heaven. What does that mean? But I think it's important for us to acknowledge that there's an aspect to that that is truth. And so we have to choose. Are we going to work and toil uh, for treasures of earth, for a good retirement, for security that we want, the things that we want to be able to do? Or are we going to choose to make our priorities uh, that build up this heavenly reward? This other aspect uh, is of that we reap what we do not sow uh, and that others will reap what we sow. Uh, I think is important for us to recognize as well. Because I think we get frustrated sometimes as we're trying to step out and share our faith, to share our testimony, to pray for somebody, and we don't see results. What Jesus is saying here is that those who sow may not see the results, but somebody will, because His Word does not return void. Or you might be sharing your faith and somebody else has done all the work and God's just blessing you in that moment to be there when that person's ready to finally say, yeah, I need to trust Jesus. It's God that does all the work. In fact, Paul calls this out in 1 Corinthians. He says, um, he's talking about a church and in this church they're saying, oh, I like Paul and I like Apollos. Uh, It's following earthly leaders and Paul acknowledges that here. He says, whenever someone says, I belong to Paul and another, I belong to Paulus, are you not acting like mere humans? I think this is one of the greatest things that divides the church in the world today when we sit there and we say, well, I follow this teacher and I follow this teacher. I follow Calvin. I follow Arminius. And it creates all this division. And what Paul is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, are you not acting like mere humans? To designate the way that you follow God after another human. He says, don't do this. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, but each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So that neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. They will each receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's co-workers. We are God's co-workers. How often have you contemplated that? I, I think a lot of times we get into this mindset of of simply trying to endure as Christians until Jesus comes back. I'm just going to try and do the best that I can to kind of keep my head down and and not sin and 
just kind of wait till he comes back. But here, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to call us God's co-workers. His plan, His purpose, His will is to spread the kingdom here on earth. Which means that's our plan, our purpose, our design is to spread the kingdom here on earth. We co-labor with God. It's His power, His strength. He's the one that makes it grow. But we are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay another foundation other than what has been laid down, which is Jesus Christ. We cannot pursue after the wisdom of the world. We cannot take the Gospel of Jesus and salvation through grace and mercy into redemption and a calling to then do the work of God and His will. We cannot take that and then press in upon that structures of man's wisdom. And then build. we have to be careful how we build on that foundation. That we're saved through Jesus Christ alone and that we're left on this earth to continue His ministry. How do we build on that? We have to be careful. We don't want to add in man's wisdoms, man's rules, man's way. We want to hold to the leading of the Holy Spirit as He teaches us and guides us as the church in the time that we're here for a time such as this. The foundation is Jesus. If everyone builds on the foundation, so builds on the Gospel with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it. This day is when Jesus comes back and it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved as only through fire. It's talking about how we live our lives. If we live our life with the mentality of building up our comforts and the craving, satisfying the cravings of our earthly life, that's what we put our energy and efforts into. We might have comfort now. We might have a sense of satisfaction now. We may not. We could have a difficult life where we're just striving all the time to try and satisfy some of these cravings. And in doing so, we're constantly frustrated, constantly hungry constantly pursuing and never finding satisfaction because it's the well that satisfies and it's the food to do the will of God that satisfies. But if we live our life and put our efforts and time into that, we might build something. Could be hugely successful or constant striving. When Jesus comes back, all of that effort will have been for nothing because none of it will survive. If we have the exact house that we want, where is it going to be 500 years from now? The house that I live in is over 100 years old, and I'm wondering if it's going to make another 30 sometimes. Everything that we build here on earth that is of the earth will not survive, and it will fade away. And all of the time, the precious gift of time and life and breath in our lungs that God gave to us will have nothing to show for eternally. But if instead, 
we just seek and say, God, what is the will that you have for me to do in my job at Target? And I didn't mean to like Matt's over there and works at Target. That was totally accidental. <laughs> but God, I work at Target. What's your will for me to do here and now? And, and you can be building with gold, silver, and costly stones as you follow the will of your father, as you work with your coworkers at Target or in construction company or at home with your children. Wherever God has you, Lord, what's your will for me here and now? It's a, it's a choice to say, okay, um, I can have lunch or I can do the will of my father. And I'm not talking about food here because Jesus wasn't talking about food. I can either satisfy the cravings and desires of the life that I kind of want to live for myself here and now, or I can set that aside and, and choose to say, God, how do you want me to live? And, and even though I might crave you know, to have a boat to go fishing, I'm going to set that aside because, God, you've called me to use that money on a mission strip. It may not be a mission strip. Maybe that money is just meant to... Uh, maybe you buy the boat and then bring other men from the church with you and you guys talk about Jesus as you're fishing. Gold, fish, and all that stuff. It's all about what our purpose and desire is. If it's to do the will of God, then we just follow him wherever he leads us. But it's an active choice to, to set aside our initial cravings and desires and to submit them to God. I want to buy this car. Cool. God, I want to buy this car. <laughs> just go there. That's all it really takes at times. It's just to say, like, this is something I'd like. And said, God, this is something that I like. And if he says, yeah, cool. Cool, buy the car and enjoy it. And then use it for the kingdom and however it leads you to use it. Because it's his car anyways. But if you go to him and say, God, I'd like this car. And you feel convicted that God is saying, nope. Not that one. Okay, Lord. My, my food is to do your will, not satisfy the desires for, you know, a Ferrari red convertible. It's to do your will. That's what he's talking about here. That there is a greater satisfaction, there's a greater joy, there is a greater reward over doing the work of our Father and the will that he has for us wherever we're at in our life. This is what he has for us. Sure. Three little pigs. So if you build your house with straw, what's the other one? Sticks, thank you. Or bricks. That's, that's actually a great illustration. And then there's the wolf. Yeah. The wolf can come. The wolf can blow it down. Uh, and if we apply Satan to being the wolf at that point, uh, that's only still temporary. He can just blow those things down temporarily. The thing that comes here where it's revealed by fire to test the quality of the house that we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, this fire is Jesus' return. That's what will test what we have done and what we've accomplished uh, in this life. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to celebrate communion. Um, and so if you've got your cups or if you want to grab one if you haven't gotten it yet, uh, and I want to do it this morning um, kind of in this recognition of, of what communion stands for. Jesus says to do this in remembrance of him, um, of his life, his death on the cross. Uh, the bread is to represent his body. Um, 
and then the wine or the juice is to represent his blood. But this ordinance was also meant to recognize our participation with him. It's not just something that we do to like, oh yeah, this happened. But it's a participation in who he is. It's participation with the body of Christ. If, if we take this only in a sense of reminding ourselves, uh, it would be like you know, some people when they get married, they take their wedding cake uh, and then they put it in the freezer and they kind of like let it go a year or a couple years uh, and so that later at a date they can you know, thaw the cake and have it again kind of as a remembrance of their wedding day. If we take communion um, only as a remembrance, it would be like the husband and wife not having a relationship with each other for like two years, living in different rooms, not interacting, not engaging, not going through life together, and then saying, oh yeah, let's, let's just kind of have this remembrance of what our wedding was like. It would be like us coming and saying, you know, I'm taking communion to remember what Jesus did, and I'm grateful for my salvation but I'm not necessarily willing or wanting or celebrating or actively walking with him. This is meant to be a remembrance of our participation in the body of Christ, doing the work that he's called us to do, which is the will of the Father, which is where we find true joy and satisfaction. So as we take this today, don't take it just as remembrance of salvation, but take it as a declaration of your current and ongoing participation in the body of Christ, in the life that he's called you to from here until he returns or calls you home. 1 Corinthians uh, 11 uh, says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, Excuse me, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we come before you this morning. Coming together as a community, as a church family, to celebrate communion in a remembrance of what you accomplished at the cross and in a declaration of our participation with you as co-laborers. Father, I pray that you help us to examine our lives in the different areas uh, that we are engaging and participating in. We have a choice in the way that we spend this gifted time. Lord, help us to examine and to acknowledge the areas uh, that we're not living for you, that we're not living for the will of the Father, but rather our own will, our own desires or cravings. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for those things. We pray that you help us to, to submit to your will, to, to say, thy will be done. 
And as we pursue that, as we repent, change, and follow that will, that we find it satisfying as food. A feast of spiritual satisfaction and joy that eclipses our desires and cravings in this world. All by spending time with you and seeking to do what you've called us to do. Pray that you would guide us in this and lead us to this. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.